Hello everybody and welcome back to the third instalment of the Joel Friesen interview. Uh, we are obviously well on our way now. If you're listening to this, you're you know balls deep, you're onto your third episode of this. Hope you've enjoyed it so far. It's been amazing to, to hear it. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, Joel, and uh, let's get rolling. Right on. So yeah, we've been tracking from Belgium on our way to India on a, yeah, basically five month cycling trip. And then a month in India where we were trying to raise funds and awareness for survivors of human trafficking, myself and my friend, Brad. So we are in the Kazakh desert. We just avo- avoided catastrophe uh, at the mosque. And now we're kind of moving forward. Yeah. We hit the highway. Um, pretty early that day. It was about a 20 kilometer stint through the sand, which obviously takes a lot longer. We hit the highway and then we're anticipating, yeah, two towns in the next four to 500 kilometers. And the towns came and went on the map. We saw them on the map. It was like, oh, there's where the town's supposed to be. They just never materialized. So the places we were expecting to top up on food and water just never appeared. So basically we're just like, well, I guess we keep cycling then, but we're running low on food and water. And it was basically the kindness of strangers, um, that kept us alive. Uh, Probably once a day, like a semi truck would barrel by and then honk and stop up ahead and we'd cycle up to it. And a guy would get out of the cab and just hand us like a water bottle or food or something. And one day this guy handed us a can. Um, it was canned meat and it had a horse on it and we're like, okay, I guess we're eating canned horse today for lunch. So we mixed up canned horse with uh, white sauce and some instant noodles. And it was actually pretty delicious. Um, I'm sure the fact that I ate horse is going to piss some people off, but didn't have a choice to be honest. So yeah, basically it was the kindness of strangers, like literally that kept us alive in the desert in Kazakhstan, we would be Anytime we saw a hut or anything that looked like a house, we just, we went to it. We didn't care if it would be awkward asking for water, but we just, we went to it and all the, they each had their own well. So they'd just pull out the well water. We take the bucket, pour it into our bottles. And that's how we stayed hydrated through the desert. So after this initial, yeah, go ahead. Did you have times during that where you've obviously hoped on the, um, the, uh, what's the word, the goodwill of people and they turned you away? No. That's the craziest thing about this trip, I think, is that, I mean, I could think really hard and think up some brief interactions where like someone was maybe a bit rude or a bit short, but it was almost 100% of people that if we, if they could understand us to some extent, they would, they would do something for us whatever they could do they would do it it really was close to 100 percent. that's amazing that is but to be honest not surprised you know like i said yeah with, with myself being in the military and stuff we you know i've been to uh, a few european countries and it's always been the same i mean you get your 
and you get rude people wherever you go in the world but i think yeah 90 percent yep. of of most populations will you know help out if they, if they can and sometimes Absolutely. even if they can't they will still try to help you in some yes. way shape or form yes so basically these guys these amazing people who are somehow surviving in the desert themselves were keeping us alive too it got so hot those days it got to about 42 44 degrees celsius that we just like we couldn't ride so we'd get up early we'd get up around 5 36 a.m we'd ride till 10 or 11 went before it was like too hot it would be mid 30s at that point and we would just duck into I, i'm not sure what you call them i don't even know the appropriate name but i call them flood tunnels like under the road those concrete tubes yeah um that water runs through and that's where we would shelter for the day so we would just basically from 10 a.m till about 6 p.m we would just sit in these tiny concrete tubes under the highway and just pass the day away so brad would generally fall asleep i would sit there and read and think and it was such that was probably the most mentally difficult the trip ever was like you're sitting there for six eight hours a day unable to like cool down unable to go anywhere and not knowing where you're going to eat or drink it was it was crazy so we get through this 500 kilometer stretch and we show up at this kind of ragtag gas station there's a bunch of semi trucks and we get talking to this young trucker who can speak english and i show him our route and he's like no like you'll die he's like you think this was bad you won't make it. You won't make it there. I was like, well, what way do we go then? So he, he, Kazakhstan is a huge country. So he draws a line with his finger over where we need to go. And I was like, how long is that going to take? He's like, probably a week driving. I was like, oh man, we're not making it through Kazakhstan. We don't have time to do that. And we're going to die if we go. He's like, it's not paved. There's no towns. It's 1500 kilometers, not 500. Like you'll die. So we're like, dude, what do we do? So he's like, you got to take a train. So we're like, okay, we'll take a train. We hated when we had to like take boats and trains and stuff, but it was necessary to get to India by the time we had planned. So we take a train from the town of Bainu to Kizilorda, like a little sleeper train. It was rough, but we made it. It was about 15 hours. And then the other side of Kazakhstan was, it was hot but it wasn't as hot and there was a headwind, but it wasn't nearly as strong. So we were able to kind of make it through. And again, people were caring for us, feeding us um, really fantastic people in, in Kazakhstan, but the desert just, it really almost killed us. And then it like, it was going to kill us. So we got through Kazakhstan. We made it out alive. We cycled a total of two weeks through Kazakhstan. And then uh, we head into Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, again, beautiful country. We meet this uh, Austrian tour guide in the capital. And he says to us, okay, you guys are going to China. Do you want to take the kind of easy route or like the fun, adventurous one? We're like, dude, we're, we're going to take the fun, adventurous one. He's like, all right. I thought you were going to say that. So he sends us on this route through what's called the Kegedi Pass. And we found out later it's among like the top few most dangerous roads in the world. So we're heading up into the Kegedi pass. He says, it's going to take you about a half day. We're like, okay, great. Like once you get into the pass, it'll be about a half day. 
we get into the pass, we cycle for a few hours, set up for the night. The next day we start climbing 10 times harder than the mountain in Romania. We're, we're just pushing our bikes up this thing. There's snow capped peaks. We're up around 4,000 meters. So Brad starts to get altitude sickness because we're pushing hard. We see a Jeep drive by us and I see it get to the pass. Like I can see the pass in the distance and it just pauses at the pass, looks down, comes back. I'm like, no way. If a Jeep is not attempting that pass, then what are we doing here? Yeah. So we set up camp. We're onto our second night in the pass on what's supposed to be a half day trip. The next morning we reach the pass. We look down. It's just this crazy looping switchbacks and there's steep drop-offs. And so we start riding down and we're just pulling on the brakes all the way down. Right. And lots of times we had to get off and walk them, but because our bikes are obviously so narrow compared to a Jeep, um, we were able to make it down the road, get to the next town and kind of, you know, get a breather and realize, okay, we made it through the pass. We're good to go. Now we have to get to China. So uh, the next day we decide to take a day off and we go to see this local attraction. It's this beautiful Canyon. And on our way back from the Canyon, we hitch a ride. Some guys pick us up and they're very kind. They take us back. Brad leaves the phone in their car. So now we have no phone, no system of navigation, and we're on our way to China. There's no phone shop in this little town. So we're like, okay, we'll just, we, we, we knew it was this highway. We looked up on our, on our iPad and we're like, okay, it's this highway we've got to take. Get on the highway. We start riding. Horrible first half of the day. Then the conditions turn. We start flying downhill. I reach out to grab Brad's hand, just like this moment of unity. You know, we're flying. I reach out to grab his hand. I veer off the road. Bang. My tire explodes. The rim gets completely bent. I can't bike anymore. I try fixing spokes, adjusting it. It's screwed. Like I'm done. This guy picks us up in a van, takes us to his town. They don't know how to fix it in the town. I'm like, goodness gracious. I get it just, just enough. So it's rideable. So the rim's not rubbing as much. Keep cycling. It's brutal. So mentally taxing. Basically we make it to this yurt camp and these guys are like, we run a yurt camp, stay at our yurt camp. So we stayed in a yurt for a night. That was an amazing experience as well. And then they're like, you're going to China. We're like, yeah, they're like there's no shops between here and China. And there's no shops for hundred kilometers on the other side of China. So that's 200 kilometers. So they load us up with food and water and we keep biking. And, oh man, we the, basically crossing into China. We didn't know this, but we went to the wrong border crossing. It was a locals only crossing. So Kyrgyz people and Chinese people can cross here. Tourists cannot, but we don't know that. So, so we show up at the border and the guy's like, you can't come through here. And we're like, the next border is like a week or a two week ride away. I'm like, dude, we have to come through here. It's like, there's no way. Eventually we find out you can come through, but you need a tour guide. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe you know about this, but I don't know why it's like a, some sort of a dead zone or a restricted like military zone, but China does not want people in that zone unaccompanied by a government official. So this guy, we had to pay 350 American dollars 
for this guy to come pick us up and drive us through into China. We get to Kashgar, this city in, in northwestern China where the Uyghur people live. Uh, the Uyghur people have been in the news a lot because the Chinese government has been, um, you can obviously fact check this and everything, but there's a lot of evidence that the government there is, is depressing this, this Muslim group, this Muslim yeah. minority. Um, amazing people, phenomenal culture. And, but there's no bike. We can't get our bike fixed again. So we just make the call. We're like, man, things are not going well at this point. And we had met a guy in Georgia named John, an American guy, and he works in Beijing. And he says, this is how interconnected it is. It's crazy. So he's like, if you come to Beijing, I'll house you. I'll do anything you need. So he gets his train tickets to Beijing. We go there, get a new set of tires, and we're ready for the ride across China. So that's kind of how we made it through Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and into China. So how did you get in contact with him for him to sort you out with your tickets to get to Beijing? Yeah, we basically, we met him in Georgia um, during our time there. And we just fired him a message on Facebook. We were like, hey, dude, I know you offered this. I don't know if that's a legit offer, but we got to take you up on it. And he was the sweetest about it. He's like, he emailed us back maybe an hour later. I was like, you have tickets. You're booked on the train. You're good to go. And so basically we got to Beijing, he housed us, we got a new phone, we got a new tire, and we were good to go across China. So basically something about China that a lot of people think is like, oh, pollution. It's like, yeah, pollution. It was terrible. Our beards, eyebrows, eyes, like it looked like I was wearing mascara and I had black hair. It was crazy. Our faces were just covered every day. Diesel from the trucks and smog. I don't know. It was wild. So basically China was, um, there are notable moments, but kind of not that many. It was just, we were going through the mountains most of the way, a lot of smog, but also very beautiful. People were very kind, but no one spoke English. So to get meals, we would just put in our translation app. We just type beef and noodles and we just show that to people at restaurants and they just make us food, beef and noodles, whatever their interpretation was. So what for you, what was yeah. the what was the thing that most surprised you about China? The thing that most surprised me about China, I think it was like the natural beauty of the parks. Like they had these huge national parks with like stunning, stunning mountains that were just lush and green and and big mountains and rivers. And it was like I would come and hike here. I've never thought of China as like a hiking destination. And then also it didn't surprise me um, because all the Chinese people I know in Canada are also very hospitable, but just very helpful. Everyone wants to help. Um, But it was striking that in some of these places, it seemed like we were among the only white people they'd ever seen. Like it was very, we were cycling through very remote villages and it was a big, it was the most, um, culture shock we'd felt up to that point on the trip it was like this is a different place nobody speaks english almost nobody and they haven't seen people who look like us before in person so that was that was new definitely yeah um, yeah it must be i mean i've never 
yeah, I've never been in a situation like that where I've been sort of outnumbered, you know, well, not outnumbered, but yeah, in in a place that is sort of that secluded from, from uh, the outside world and especially obviously yeah. to not see sort of Westerners. Yeah. Um, so how long did you stay in China for in total? Yeah. How long did it take you to get through China? It's a, we were in China for a month. So we cycled for about three weeks or about a month. I can't remember. Yeah, we cycled for about three weeks from Beijing to Chengdu. Um, and then we were about, we were trying to get permits to cycle through Tibet, but we couldn't get permits. So we had to fly from Chengdu to Kathmandu. And that's when we entered our final cycling country, which was Nepal. So we arrive in Nepal. And at this point, we'd hit already 8,000 kilometers. And we realized, oh, we're not going to do much more than 8,000. With the train we had to take across Kazakhstan, our cycling distance was kind of limited. So in Kathmandu, Brad's brother dad and grandpa came and they took off for a few days and went on a hike together. And I got to take that time to connect with a friend of mine who flew out as well. So this is the first time we're seeing people from the outside world. It was a strange feeling. It was almost like we'd had to force ourselves to like, forget that they existed so that we could just endure what we had to endure every day on the road. It was a very strange very strange sensation seeing those people. Yeah, I mean that would be quite a taxing, taxing on you mentally as well. Obviously, with you know, and I've only just thought of that because you're because you've mentioned it actually about like the you know life's continued back home. So yeah. there'll be you know, well I don't know whether there was, but you know, you you got your weddings, babies, birthdays, Christmases, you know, whatever is going on that you yeah. would normally be a part of that you're now not was there anything sort of a, a you know a life event that you missed out on due to this fortunately nothing major but a good friend of mine did get married and i was in the i was meant to be in the wedding party and it was just like you know there was this moment where i considered flying back and then flying i was like i don't think i could have i don't if i had flown back to canada i don't think i could have flown back to wherever i was in the world at that point it would have been too difficult to experience that comfort again, the comfort of home, and then go back into that tumultuous um, existence, basically. Yeah. 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 yeah so, 100%. yeah, ba- basically, <laughs> so basically, we, we see them, they go off on a hike. My friend comes and he connects me with people he's met in Kathmandu before. And so we're basically going to the slums, meeting with kids that are living on the street. And this young man who's just started to take kids into his home and care for them and make sure they're safe from exploitation and from being trafficked into India. Um, So that was a very eye-opening, humbling experience to meet these kids and to meet this guy who's committed his life to caring for vulnerable children. It was a really profound experience. After... I think we were in Kathmandu for two weeks. It was kind of strange. So the whole bike trip seemed like it was sort of on pause because they went on the hike and I, I connected with those people. And then we knew we, we'd been told by locals like, hey, you can cycle all the way to India, but we wouldn't advise it. So we hopped on a, a night bus and rode to within 200 kilometers of the border. And that was where we were basically going to cycle across 
and cross into India. And the thing I didn't know about India and Nepal, well, I did know, but I wasn't aware that it was there, is that they share an open border where you can just come and go. Nobody's checking anything. So we cycled, we cycled 150 kilometers. Brad hadn't eaten for two days. He got violently sick and he hadn't eaten. So we'd stayed at this like cheap little hotel and he's like, dude, I can't, I can't eat anything, but I'm, I want to ride. I want to finish this thing. I'm like, okay, dude. So we, we start riding. We rode, he rode 150 kilometers on an empty stomach and a hot muggy day in Nepal. And it was just like such an inspirational way to watch him finish the journey. Cause like, it was my idea. I just asked him to come on it and the way he like persevered and was loyal to me, to the cause. And then to finish like that, it was, it was unbelievable. So we basically make it, make it to the border. And, and I'm like, where's the checkpoint? And I look at the app or our map and we're in India. And I was like, what the heck? And then I realized like, oh, we just crossed an open border. So we had to go back, which was a weird feeling. Cause we're like, we finished, we finished, we did it. We made it to India. And, but we had to go back to the Nepali side, get our passport stamped, then go to the Indian immigration office and get our passport stamped again. And then we had about a 30 kilometer ride to the town of Siliguri, which is where we were going to connect with some people and see what they were doing to fight trafficking and care for vulnerable people in their community. But I looked at Brad and he's now like white as a sheet. This guy just looks sickly. And I'm like, I don't know if he's making it. And I'm just praying. I'm like, God, help us. I don't know. Help us somehow. So we start cycling to go back and we feel like we've already finished the journey. Like when we crossed into India, our plan was to ship our bikes to the airport and just tour India by train, connecting with organizations and individuals doing that kind of anti-trafficking work. So we're like, so we start biking again and then I'm like hallucinating. I start hearing voices and then I realize I'm not hallucinating. Someone's shouting my name. So I look behind me and my buddy that we'd met in Kathmandu had also missed the immigration and had crossed the border accidentally in a car. And he was like, dude, if you want, like, if you are done the trip, like you can throw your bikes in here. We'll drive to Siliguri together. And me and Brad, I looked at Brad, the man's like nearly passing out. Yeah. And I'm like, we did it. We made it. We crossed into India, 17 countries. We, we made our goal. So we just like me and Brad, I just looked at him, started crying just hugged them middle of the street. There's bodies and cars and animals flowing past us. I'm just hugging this guy. We're both crying <laughs> like, dude, we made it. And that was, that was the completion of the cycling portion of our journey. Yeah. I mean that obviously that spanned over, you know, for this episode that spanned over three episodes. We're yeah. Talking about that. And in every episode, you've shown how much how how much people's help helped you achieve your goal that yeah. they had no idea about your challenge when you set out to do it yet every you know every place especially when you needed someone they were there and they couldn't do enough for you and you, you can see in your expressions and how you talk about them people that they you know they do hold a very 
dear part of your heart and that you you know you will always cherish their memories and how thankful you are that they obviously came along when they did yes yeah absolutely we could not i say it multiple times in the book and even in the in the end when i'm thanking people and acknowledging i'm like to everyone we met you you kept us alive you kept us moving forward you encouraged us we could not we could not have done this without you and i think that's kind of besides like that you can use your life and your freedom and your ability to move places and travel to to combat human trafficking or whatever cause you're passionate about the other like big takeaway for me was that if you live in a way where you're willing to ask for help and put yourself in positions that are uncomfortable, you will make connections that are so much deeper than you ever could have imagined. And you're going to allow other people who actually want to help. It's part of our, what gives us meaning as human beings is to help other people. I really think that, but some people don't know how. So we kind of put ourselves in a position where we needed help and people were able to like fulfill their human calling as I see it by coming to our aid while at the same time we were trying in some, you know, far off way to help others. So that's like my summary of kind of what it meant to me and, and some of the things I took away from it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an absolutely amazing journey. I'm so glad that I got you on it. Uh, so you touched on it a couple of times, uh, the audio book. Yes. So, yeah, so I'm writing, I'm writing, uh, well, I've written, there's going to be a, uh, a hard copy that's going to be available on Amazon and you're going to be able to order that. I'm just going to throw it a tentative date. You're going to be the first one to hear it. Um, and I think it'll be before this, this airs. We'll see what happens. No pressure around early November, November six to eight is when that should be available. So if you're hearing this and it's past that you can go on and get it. If it's not, if it's still coming up, um, then you should follow on social media at farther than the sun can see at farther than the sun can see. And that's because the journey was about going into the darkest of places um, to bring light and hope and healing to those places. And it's about just has kind of a feeling of a journey in the title there. So yeah, the book's going to be, and then hopefully a little later, it'll be available on audible as well. And are you reading that yourself? I'm reading that myself. So it's hard to do. It's draining. I mean, you know, this, you talk on podcasts for a lot of hours a week, but, uh, yeah, I, I hope that by reading it myself, people get a bit of the feeling and the emotion and, uh, the energy of, of the story. Yeah. I think a, 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 an audible like yours, where it's, you, you've lived, you've lived the experiences. So that is a hundred percent going to translate in, in your tone of voice, how it, you know, how you carry the sentence and your pauses, like everything like that, all of your yeah. emotions that will go into it will just further enhance the listenership or the, the, yeah, the audio experience for right. that customer, you know, that, that, that person that's listening to it. And I will, it will own it. It will only aid in the advancement of you getting your story out there. I think. Right. I it's appreciate amazing. that. And I, I no. hope so too it's 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 amazing um so also obviously in the introduction we spoke about your degree 
that you're currently. Yes. So how's that going? Where are we at with it? Yeah, yeah, it's going well. I'm I'm done one year of of three for law school, and I'm just constantly looking for ways. The courses I choose and the connections I make, um, I'm constantly looking to meet people who are in this in this realm of of justice of using law to actually impact broader systems to bring uh, justice to the most vulnerable people. And I consider the most vulnerable people, those women and children who, who are impacted by trafficking, because I mean, obviously people have so many causes they're passionate about. And if you have a cause that you're championing, kudos to you, you know, go for it, take a run at it. For me personally, it's that. Um, so I just love, yeah, that I can look at something like law and say, how can I use this? Um, to make the world a more just and free place well hopefully you know by coming on this podcast uh and, and spreading the word it it will um yeah. it's it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you uh i feel like i've just not stopped saying that um but it, it's been absolutely absolutely brilliant um you are uh, you as well i i Go on, I no, reciprocate no. that, man. It's been it's been a pleasure to to yeah to come on to just meet you. You're a phenomenal individual. I hope that everyone listening to this um, has already got a chance to hear your story, and if they haven't, to to go back and and hear your story and and just to keep listening because you're doing a great thing. You're trying to connect people, um, push people to get out of their comfort zones, and to yeah, like you said, what's what's the motto of the show again? Uh, ordinary people, extraordinary stories. And that's the thing. I really don't count myself as anything more than ordinary. I've met extraordinary people and I have extraordinary stories. And it's simply because I was willing to do something that, uh, that a lot of people might be afraid or, or uncertain about how to go about doing. And I was uncertain too. So yeah, I encourage anyone, if you've got a dream and it and it matters, you know, if it matters, you got to feel that deep in your soul and just go for it. Yeah, I, I heard a quote the other day, actually, that was sort of along them lines. And it was, do things that make you happy, yeah. not other people. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. It's got to resonate with you. I I think we're, we've got this world of people where um, there's so many things going on in the world, things you could do things you might want to do for a, a justice uh, oriented person. And it's like, you can't do it all. You cannot do it all. So I just look at it. I'm like, man, who's, who's my neighbor? Who can I, you know, that's biblical kind of, but it's also just common sense. It's like, we have limited capacity, limited time. Now we're neighbors, Jack, you know, we've made this yeah. connection and those people that I met along the way that I still keep in touch with, they're my neighbors. And those are the people that I care for. And then I'm going to, do things to make a difference in their lives so yeah time and energy capacity is all limited make the best of what you have and and have fun doing it it's a wild it's a wild ride yeah well with that i'm gonna uh close us out joel so right thank on it's much. been a pleasure yeah thank you very much for coming on the podcast uh it's been been an absolute pleasure to listen to you over these last three episodes uh i wish you all the best obviously for the book and the uh audible 
Uh, what's your Instagram handle? Yeah, it's just Joel B. Friesen. Joel B. Friesen. And then also you can follow at farther than the sun can see. If you just want to follow on the book and you don't care about me at all, that's completely fine. Brilliant. Well, thanks again. And thank you everybody for listening. We out. <laughs>